0: Hi, I'm Rosie, and welcome to the History of Rosie Roaring Twenties podcast. Today, I'm joined with Sophie from History Chatter. Hi, Sophie. Hi, yeah. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about um, History Chatter?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, it's a, a blog and an Instagram, mostly active on Instagram, to be honest. That started as a, a bit of a furlough project last year, um, and then has become uh, a, an obsession, perhaps is the best words and what I like to do is talk about scandal, sex and relationships on it. So um, mostly focused on kind of British history um, from about 1450 onwards, and I kind of dot around in time and pick out different things that are interesting, which can be as varied as, you know, examples of people's relationships or contraception or anything or lots of the stuff that I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about today.
0: Yeah, definitely. So today we're talking about sex and scandal uh in the 1920s so a perfect topic for you. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, so I thought I'd start with um what was the attitude to sex like during this time? So
1: for the most part sex was still considered something that happened within a marriage. Um there was definitely a kind of well, what I think people believe was a loosening of morals, which came from, you know, during the wartime. I think people, you know, it's a very really difficult time and people just, you know, take their fun where they can kind of thing. Um, and that was something that during the war was kind of winked at. And I think there were a lot of young men going off to war who would kind of say to women, you know, I'm not guilt tripping them into it, but kind of saying, you know, like, I might die in a few weeks and I won't have had this experience. Um, and I think a lot of young women then slept with those soldiers thinking, that it kind of almost didn't really count because they they were doing something for these boys basically who were then going off to fight um, for their country. And um, then the war ended and um, I think general society expected that that would also end. Um, But there were lots of young women who actually didn't think like that at all and they wanted to continue that, but they were most definitely not respectable women or what would have been considered that. So you had some Uh, So flappers, which we can talk about in more detail later, you know, they were sort of considered um, fast and loose in a lot of ways. And you had some bohemian circles who um, could be very open about it. But most people wouldn't talk about sex. It was considered something that happened within a marriage, um, mostly for creating children, but also as part of, you know, a loving relationship. Um, And even conversations around things like contraception. were all talked about as the expectancy that that is something within a marriage um so chemists who sold contraceptives would be reluctant to sell them to single people because the conversation had moved into which was led by mary Stokes really as birth control being more of a, a medical issue than a moral issue and something that couples could use married couples could use um within their relationships to obviously stop having children when they wanted to, but it was definitely not to be used for single people to kind of go off and do what they like, which I think is a, an argument that comes up again and again with all sorts of things really, but it's that kind of like, well, if you make contraceptives available, of course people will go out and sleep around, which is uh, was considered really immoral um, at the time. Um, and another thing that I think was really important is anything outside of heterosexual sex was also, a big no-no um you know like homosexual relationships were you know they weren't just frowned upon they were they were considered deviant and a, a disease um so yeah it was it was definitely a time that was becoming more permissive and leading towards a more liberal society but at the same time it was still very rooted in a lot of um moralistic um concerns really and that was then sort of whipped up even more by, you know, the press and politicians who wanted to clamp down on um different kind of different kind of behaviours really.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned um birth control. Was it kind of a really basic form of what we have today, or was it actually quite effective and like quite well used? Because obviously today a lot of people do use birth control. I wondered if it was like popular in the twenties or not so much?
1: It was becoming more popular. Um, So, I mean, birth control has, in one form or another, has has always existed. There have always been women who didn't want to get pregnant. Um, But I think it became a lot more popular in in the early half of the century and increasingly after the First World War. Um, But a lot of the time it came, especially the use of things like condoms, it was actually more about preventing sexually transmitted diseases rather than pregnancy. Um, so, which is, was, you know, STIs were a a massive issue at at the time. Um, but yeah, there was, there was a range of stuff. There were, there were things like condoms and, um, obviously things like the pill weren't developed until later, but you had, um, sort of equivalents of that. So, um, they had like cervical caps that, um, women could use, um, and they had spermicides, they were available. Um, and they could be used so some of the stuff that was more you know that you would insert yourself um like on a need to use basis um were much more available and they were kind of manufactured quite widely um at the time so i think it would just be which i'm not really sure how people did it but how you got hold of that and i think if you were married you would probably be able to get it over the counter um but if you were a single woman um then it would have been probably a bit diff- more difficult. But it's also worth noting that, you know, this is the start of the century, really. And in the Victorian era, era it was it was, it was was actually illegal to promote birth control and its use. So you're only just coming out of that. So people's changing attitudes to it and for it to become more commonplace is, is actually quite a big step, um, really, which, again, like, you know, Mary Stopes was... Um, really instrumental in that. She had a birth control clinic, which I think is like the first one that was opened in Europe or something like that. And it gave advice to mothers. And it also specifically showed them like how to use things like the cervical cap. But um, it was always, she did always talk about it very much within sort of marital relations, I think is, is the phrase, um, rather than protecting yourself from pregnancy um, when you're not in a in a relationship or or married.
0: Yeah it's really interesting because I guess we kind of perceive not ju- the only um, thing of like the only purpose of birth control being um, to stop pregnancy but obviously like it is promoted to single people now as well so kind of thinking about his early origins being like to st- help stop population growth yeah. in the 20s it's quite interesting to think about how different it would have been and maybe like your husband would have had to come along with you to get the um, birth control and stuff like that so it would have been like really backwards Um, but do you think like um, the war kind of um, did lead to an increase in like STIs and stuff like that because I think I've read like quite a lot of stuff about how there was kind of like a breakout of stuff during that time because um, people were a bit more free
1: <laughs> yeah i think so yeah i I think there definitely was and I,
0: I i think the war
1: had a huge part of that in part because armies are in history i think have always been kind of breathing grounds for stis you know they're men traveling off to other places for you know really long periods of times and you know there's potentially going to be especially in something like you know the first world war where so many young men who never would have gone to you know they would never have joined the army and kind of you know normal times in peace times um going off having these really traumatic experience but also i think in a way you have that kind of it it almost and this is a bit of a, a crude comparison here but like it almost makes me think of when people go off to university or they go oh they move out for the first time and they've suddenly got this freedom they're not living with their parents they are um you know in dangerous situations and they just kind of go okay you know what i'm gonna have sex with uh you know a sex worker or a young woman who i've been dancing with um and people are meeting people that they would never normally meet who are perhaps infected with something so i think it the kind of literal moving around of people because of the first world war not just the soldiers as well but you know women too who would move out and go um be perhaps maybe not the nurses at the front but you know things like they would go and work in factories away from home again um it, it kind of encourages a more promiscuous behavior i think um but also mixing with lots of people lots of people that you wouldn't normally and it it definitely did um i think i read somewhere that something like one in five soldiers returned home from world war one with an sti um and then they might get married and then they would pass it on to their wife because obviously then within a marriage generally especially when you you know you're first married and you're wanting children perhaps um which is actually what would have been expected i guess but you're not necessarily going to be using contraception which means you're going to pass that straight on to your your new wife um and i know that in um the irish army in the early 20s they really had a, a massive problem um With it spreading through their barracks where they were um you know on their days off or nights out or whatever they were um making use of sex workers or just picking up young women um and it was spreading and they were having to like put them at they were having to go for treatment and they were like docking their pay while they were being treated um just because I don't know it was almost like it was having such a big impact they were like we need to do something that's much wider that's potentially going to discourage people from doing it but I don't think it did really I think the big ones were syphilis and gonorrhea and at the time syphilis was completely incurable Um, so it could be it could be really dangerous but I think maybe when you're in that situation of soldiers going off to World War One the bigger risk uh, the closer risk is dying in the trenches so perhaps you're probably not thinking about something like syphilis, which can take a while to kind of, you know, come through, but numbers definitely increased. And then when you then had people, you know, dancing and like flirting and, and doing all of that sort of stuff in public, which then leads to other things in private, it, it it's naturally going to, to spread quicker, especially when it's so difficult to get contraception as a single person.
0: Um, yeah. And I assume, like, the testing for, like, STIs was non-existent as well, which would then, you know, if you don't have the contraception, you're not going to be like, oh, have you had a test or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that would have added to the general um, environment of, like, yeah, STIs yeah. increasing. And I think, like, safe sex, as we know it, as,
1: as we consider it now, wouldn't have been a thing like yes you might if you were having um you know illicit sex because you were single or you know at, it was outside of your marriage or or whatever obviously um people try to avoid pregnancy but the way that people try and avoid that you know there's there's different things like pulling out or whatever that that people would think about but they wouldn't necessarily think about something like stis and, and it was a real source of shame And I think people wouldn't necessarily find out if they got one until they started being ill with it. Um, And I was reading something that was really interesting that was saying like the amount of deaths that's been um, attributed to, you know, like syphilis or mainly syphilis, but other STIs as well, um, is actually much lower than the actual probable figure because as people were getting sick, doctors and stuff didn't want to offend the families. They didn't want to tell the families That this person was dying of syphilis or whatever. So, deaths weren't certified as those STIs, but like other things like liver disease and heart disease, which came from having the STI. So, I think it's something that we kind of generally know was quite widespread after the war, but we definitely don't know the actual full extent to it at all because it was
0: a really shameful secret. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that developed um, syphilis did end up um, with really bad mental health problems. So, that would have kind of gone down as oh they're insane um rather than that they have syphilis and I mean I guess the diagnosis like as much as the doctor might assume that they have syphilis I guess that it nothing was certain back then either um as people have different symptoms and stuff like that whereas now it's just like a quick test and they know for sure um so I think that would definitely like um you know changed the numbers of how many people did and you know stuff like chlamydia probably wasn't being tracked and i think like it's just really interesting that we kind of have to you know look outside of the book to you know make a yeah. decision on what we think was going on as historians um yeah rather than being like well that's for certain like <laughs> um because it's just yeah. so different to what it is now yeah
1: and there, there are going to be lots of people who who had you know some form of STI or another and 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 never knew it or never really realized or um you know they're just because like you say they're not like on the books um you know it it's fair to assume though i think what's on the books already shows us lots of people um having STIs and so i think we can definitely assume that there are lots of people not on that books which just shows us then to some extent how widespread um how widespread that would have been and 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 i think what's really interesting is it then played into a lot of other kind of concerns around sex and and it's and the morality of of society generally that were were coming up as part of these you know it, it fits into so much like a lot of it was blamed on women um for instance especially prostitutes um for being temptresses who happened to have an STI, um, but that's kind of their fault for passing it on rather than the man's fault for sleeping with the sex worker. Um, So yeah, although actually this is quite interesting and I I don't know how true this is, but I did read somewhere that sometimes um, sex workers working like in France, like near the trenches and stuff would um, bump their prices up if they knew that they had an STI Um, and they would kind of almost advertise it and then soldiers who were hoping to get something that would make them ill that meant that they didn't have to return to the trenches would then um, like sleep with them because they were hoping that that would get them away from the trenches which I think just shows like you know if you're balancing your your risk at the time whether you think you're more likely to get you know shot or shelled to death rather than get something that's Going to get a few like probably a really long slow painful death, but much further down the line. So I think it's quite indicative of people's mindsets,
0: really. Yeah, and it's interesting that the women were able to like uh profit off that. Like um you might as well make the best out of a bad situation. <laughs> um, yeah. Because that must have like actually been quite. I reckon it probably was pretty profitable for them. Um, compared to like their usual pre-STI clients um (laughs) but so was prostitution at this time I I mean I it's hard to track prostitution obviously but was it kind of at the same levels of previous eras or was it even more hidden because I think we have this idea of like Victorian and you know like Tudor and society having kind of sex workers stood on the street corners and enticing men in, and I wondered if this has kind of changed um, in the 20s or not.
1: Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, it's really hard to tell, you know, if you look at sort of direct numbers, it's, it's really hard to tell through history, you know, how 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 many people, uh, how many women, uh, and men, I guess, but, you know, predominantly women are, are doing sex work. Um, but it's definitely... It's definitely still something that a lot of women did. I think for more working class women, it was actually much more, not always, but could be much more of a kind of choice because the money that was earned from that could give you a better life than some of the other work that you could get. Um, But I think what's really interesting about the 20s is that there was a real fear around how do you identify who is a sex worker and who isn't because some of the things that would kind of you know in inverted commas here like mark out a prostitute things like wearing makeup um flirting in public um you know going out and uh, being out at all sorts of hours um they were all always things that were kind of like oh you know that she's kind of a bad woman but now it was like but does that mean that she is a sex worker or, or is she just a girl having fun like it became really and that was like a real concern um kind of in society like well how, how do you know who these women are how do you know which ones are you know i mean none of them are respectable but how do you know which ones are the sort of who's who's the prostitute and who is just the good time girl kind of thing like so what like what did this mean for regulation of prostitution at the time um so Although it's really hard to tell kind of whether there were more or less or, you know, things like that. I think the perception of prostitution changed. And that's really interesting. Um, And what's also interesting is that, um, you know, in the 20s, especially, you know, higher up the social scale, I I think proportionally anyway. But there were so many, so much less men than there were women um, because so many of them had died in the First World War. And that took a while to to recover from that. Um, you had so many women who were single and that would get to things like they, how do you find a date to dance when there's like, you know, proportionally like however many more women than there are men. I, I can't remember the exact numbers. And so some men would start hiring themselves out as um, to be able to be like basically paid dates, almost like escort work, I think like they would they would cost um, like a sixpence for a dance um, at, at a, a, a ball or something like that. And then some women who were kind of richer and didn't really have much less lose would um, pay for men's company for flattery, sometimes sex. So you see that coming and being something that's actually been talked about. And I don't know of anywhere else in history that I've read about um, personally of women paying for sex. Like that's something that's 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 been new in, in my kind of research. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's it's hard to tell, but it, it's kind of very mixed up in the general concerns about much more sexually liberated society as a whole. Um, especially, especially for women and, and women's sexuality.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting you're saying about like women paying for sex, because I don't think that that would have been a thing before, because there's probably, always been so many men available women don't really need to pay for it they could yeah. they were either getting paid for it or people were interested so, so like I imagine it would have been a massive cultural shift to suddenly be there and suddenly realize there's no men like yeah. <laughs> you would have just been so shocked um yeah. and I imagine like it probably was actually like welcome uh men even just offering you know even if you pay them a little bit and going for a dance I think you know maybe a higher up woman with a little bit of money probably would have been grateful of that rather than seeing it as something shameful whereas like I think prostitution is kind of like as a buying sex from a woman has always had like a shameful nature about it yeah. um yeah. so I think it would have had like a very different opinion to um women selling sex um yeah. and obviously yeah. you're saying about like the like liberal attitudes, and I just thought that was really interesting as well, because most women would have been quite liberal at this time if they were younger, and that's what everyone else was doing i guess
1: yeah I think so you've you've really got a um a sort of like there's like two really two quite distinct halves to it, so there is this especially in the the younger and probably some of the wealthier elements particularly but you know in all sorts of the social scale much more liberal about not not just sex itself but you know um alcohol dancing public behavior being in public spaces you know like entertainment venues you know shopping malls those kind of things um but then you've also got a real moral like panic basically going on at the same time about this that then almost exagger I, i think to some extent the uh, the the perception of how liberal the 20s are is kind of is overshadowed by that side of things by flappers and things like that but there's this huge side of things um there were like vigilance associations like organizations you know voluntary things where people would basically like dob in their neighbors and stuff like that if they thought they were behaving immorally there's these patrols that would stand at like train stations and ports looking for young women traveling alone and then they would talk to them and they would find out like oh what's the what like why are you traveling like you know do your family know where you are and things like that and if they thought that these girls if the answers didn't satisfy them and they thought these girls needed you know like moral guidance then they would send them back home or they'd send them to a lodging house and they they kind of were trying to in some ways they were trying to protect them because they were really worried about, um, you know, them being, end up falling, I guess, and getting recruited by a, a brothel owner or something like that. This, this like, story of the young, innocent woman coming to the city and getting sucked into the sex trade, you know, there's, that's an ongoing thing through history. But, you know, even in the 20s, there were people genuinely really concerned about that who were um standing there. In some ways you can see it as protection, but in some ways it's also trying to monitor and repress young women's independence um as a whole so it's really interesting to kind of see this and um something that i think really also you kind of see this in is uh the rise of nightclubs in in london um in the 20s um which is really interesting there's so many more people going to it and yet at the same time the police are really trying to clamp down on it and and i think you see that in in various um you know you you see it in sex work you see it in the nightclubs you see it in attitudes to women generally and attitudes to sex It's, it's a real like story of two halves
0: yeah and i think um the same in america is like um prohibition led obviously to the increase of illegal speakeasies and um this was the first time women were actually allowed in like I guess, clubs like saloons and stuff like on their own um, during the 20s. Um, So I imagine like that was a a big cultural shift, just like in London. Um, But in America, you know, they would have been monitoring where the women were going because the same people who wanted the prohibition, were also the people that had the high morals about society and stuff like that. Um, So it's just interesting that like so many people are kind of trying to suppress what was happening, yet the image that we've kind of taken out of it is that oh, it was like a really fun, free time when yeah. really... It was probably quite scary Um, being a woman walking into a club on your own because you could get stopped by anyone and challenged about what you were doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's, um, you know, it's really interesting, like you say, that this is the kind of image that you've got, but I think you're right. Like, I think it, it you know... The women who are doing this like i mean maybe some of the wealthier women i think are protected by their their status and their money and who they are and who they're with you know if you're you know in a, a nightclub with like the prince of wales you're probably going to be okay but like there's some people further down some women further down the scales i think it's really brave what they did and even that you know the thing that everyone thinks of is the you know the gorgeous chopped bobs and the the beautiful like flapper dresses and stuff but that's actually such a big step away from any fashion before that and it's so um you know it's so boyish in a way that kind of and almost like androgynous isn't it and and that was a huge concern is they all kind of add up this like fear of women moving away from what it means to be feminine what it means to be a woman and not necessarily you know trying to to be a wife and a mother and be that sort of respectable figure um so I think some of them must have been really brave to do that and go against their families and stuff but I think proportionally the amount of women doing that is is probably relatively small compared to kind of the rest of society as a whole like a lot of people a lot of women who were you know already married or were looking to get married um or came from you know just more conservative or res- respectable kind of backgrounds or just were about themselves um you know not not a lot kind of changed for them and i think maybe if you were you know maybe younger at the start of the 20s um and you were surrounded by this you know people in the press like vilifying flappers you know would that make you more likely to become one or less likely I don't know like I'm not sure that if I was you know say 13 at the start of the 20s and then kind of as I got a bit older I think I'd probably you know might end up straying away from that because you just hear how kind of immoral they are how their lifestyles are just like full of vice and danger um so yeah bit of a tangent there but it's interesting to think about I think
0: yeah and I think um like we we're saying about this image of like the 20s of like what women look like and stuff like that I don't necessarily think a big proportion of women actually did look like that Mm -hmm. I think you know there were some that had you know the short bobs and the Mm -hmm. flapper dresses and all that but I think a lot would have still been wearing the same style as the 1910s and the 1900s purely because of money and you know access to um, materials and you know, if your parents, you know, your mum was cutting your hair, she's not necessarily going to cut it like that for <laughs> yeah. you. So I think yeah. we do get like, distracted by this image. Um, but I thought like, we should probably talk a little bit more about the flapper girls, because that's kind yeah. of what everyone um thinks about. And the main thing that everyone talks about in the 20s is like flapper girls. But like, what actually were they? And like, was, was what we think they are? Is that? what they are if that makes any sense at all
1: (laughs) yes it does (laughs) um yeah so flappers was kind of a term that was used for um young women mostly you know kind of late teens 20s perhaps into early 30s um depending on on who they were and they it was a term that was used for women who well the, the flapper was kind of a style as we talked about so there was um you know the little dresses that were short they would cut their hair um but they it was also kind of a lifestyle so they were young women who would go out and dance they would have late nights um, they often smoked um they were cool women you know they they knew the latest slang they could um keep up with the boys club like with the drinking and and they were their style was very boyish but I think there was also something about them kind of joining the boys club in a way like you would hear stories of them getting involved in like pranks or or things that you would hear about you know like wealthy young men doing that you could imagine you know they'd all been to like Eton together or something but actually women were joining in with that as well um and yeah they were a really interesting shift um from the kind of idea of a a woman as a carer a woman who is a homemaker because that's not what they were interested in at all um it, they were about having fun and um yeah that's kind of the main thing and i i think when it first kind of you know after the first world war ended and they first started really emerging um at first it was kind of like mm, okay let, let's see what's going on but as it went on in there Behaviour became more outrageous. It became something that was reported on more. People became more and more worried about it. Um, the Daily Mail called them a disaster to the human race, um, which I think, I mean, probably is very unsurprising to hear the Daily Mail say something <laughs> like that. But I, I think really sums up this kind of worry about, you know, what are these women doing? They they look different to what we're used to. They're in public spaces. It's, it's a very visible... Um, attitude and style to take on um so yeah it's they're they're interesting and they are so iconic i think just because they are such a culture shock um not only just in how women are behaving differently but also how you know this is kind of the start of youth culture um and they were kind of i think really the first set of young people to be like so drastically different in their entertainment and you know fun and leisure but to do it so publicly you know there's always been groups of people um having scandalous parties and drinking and you know whatever it's just that it's always been quite private and tucked away and now it was kind of out for everyone where they were having wasn't just having parties in your your house it was going to a nightclub in london it was so so visible um and I, i think that's a real change and i think our kind of impression of of the flapper is is not necessarily incorrect, but as we've talked about, I think it's something that is kind of like the all-consuming image of the twenties that and that's probably what's what's not quite accurate. Um but yeah they're they're very interesting. People didn't like them for various reasons, but mostly kind of their morals and their their move away from those kind of traditional roles and and again it ties into some of the stuff we've talked about before where people were like, well how do you know who is a prostitute or not if they are you know out dancing in clubs and smoking and showing their legs off how do you know if they're a a sex worker or just a party girl
0: yeah I mean I just love the fact that like you know showing your legs off wearing a bit of makeup oh obviously a prostitute um but I think it also shows like a real class change as well because like you said people have been having scandalous parties for years um it's only when it becomes more visible that it becomes a problem and I think I think like the image is like you know oh these women are going to clubs and stuff whereas if like a higher lady you know had a party and they were all dressed like that oh that's completely fine but if they're out doing this then that's not okay because I was just thinking about um Downton Abbey and how um I can't remember her name but Lily James's character she's very much got that flapper girl kind of party um image going on at one point but yet, I feel like she's less judged than if um the woman a woman in the local village went and dressed like that and went out to the club so I think the whole flapper image is like based off this class change where it's like oh well you're poor like you're going out and doing this that's so yeah. wrong but you know yeah. i've got money so i can go out and do that if i want yeah definitely there's always a
1: thing i think and i don't think it's something that's particularly gone away now but this kind of thing of like like you say like you're you're poor so how are you partying like how, you know there's a there's you know it's kind of quite one rule for um one rule for them and and one rule for another kind of thing um and and i think you know things like nightclubs you, I wouldn't say they're a great equaliser of society, um, but there were places where you could, if you went to one of them, you would be mingling with all sorts of different people, like from, you know, the Prince of Wales, all the way down to, you know, young working class girls who, who had gone in there. So they were a chance to kind of open that side of things up, I guess, to to kind of all sorts of people. And for for, um you know working class women labouring women um a flapper ideal was was something to kind of aspire to um you know like the 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 kind of the rich you know they were called bright young things the 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 rich um young people who were having these like crazy parties and stuff very like gatsby style you know how we think of that um you know that was a lifestyle that they could keep up but for you know, people who are further down the social scale that's kind of like something to aspire to. That's, you know, what you would look at. That was something that would be interesting and people would, you know, want to keep up to date with those latest fashions and what people are doing. Um, and flapper as a word is really interesting. Like, it's got quite a long history, actually. I think it started in, I think, I think it was the 1600s. It was a word for a prostitute, um, a, particularly a young one. Um, but then, in Victorian times, it more meant like a gawky teenage girl and then and then it became known as flappers for these young women um who were out there but and that's kind of what sticks with us, and I think a lot of the time as well, this is kind of thought that they were really like they were like airheads who just wanted to party, but like I don't think that's true or like that's not that's just something that I think is just accused of women having a nice time and enjoying themselves like you know whenever really but you know they were some of them would have been working in day jobs and and going out at night um people just didn't like them really
0: yeah and I think yeah like you said like they're not all airheads and also not all of them are sleeping sleeping around not all of them will be drinking loads like some of them might just literally be there for the dancing and that's it like you can't really judge based on what you know the daily mail saying or anything like that um and the expectancy is that they are all yes you know
1: have a whole string of lovers and you know uh uh, out drinking and and taking drugs until small hours and and all sorts of things but like you say there's going to be plenty of them it's that kind of thing where like a few people the interesting stories and this is what's always so interesting about studying things to do with like sex and scandal is that it's actually the smallest amount of stories are kind of pulled out because they're so interesting. Who doesn't want to read about, um, you know, like, American actresses like having a whole string of lovers and being investigated by MFI for it? You know, like, who doesn't (laughs) want to read about that? But that's really not representative of a lot of people. Um, So, and I think flappers have, have really, you know, their reputation has really been built up on the, you know, the idea that all of them were like that when actually... Flappers weren't probably weren't a huge amount of female society anyway, but then the amount that were that scandalous was even smaller.
0: Yeah, I think we're just drawn towards the scandal. Um, if if you can find scandal or like gossip in anything, I think that's what we strive to do. Um, but I was just wondering, like, so obviously we've got like the flapper, the female. Were the men who were doing this like because obviously you know. There has to be someone to sleep with the women and dance with them and go out with them and stuff like that. But were they judged as harshly for sleeping around, or was it just a free pass as per usual?
1: <laughs> um, they definitely weren't judged
0: as harshly. Um,
1: I think I think that as a whole, this kind of youth culture that's that's sprung up really around. Um, around this kind of being much more sexually liberal and partying and stuff like that as a whole was seen by older generations as quite heartless. Um, I think when you, you got to the end of the war and younger people, it, it was so miserable. They didn't want to sit around and think about it. They didn't want to sit around and be miserable about it. And so men and women were going kind of the other way, you know, going out, caring about their fashion um having fun sleeping around if they wanted to drinking if they wanted to you know all of that kind of thing and so I think as a whole that was seen as quite callous by older generations but when you dig down to it you know we don't have a word for the equivalent of a male flapper but they definitely existed didn't they like there's you know men who you know they probably like had their styles that came in and out of fashion I mean I don't know huge amounts about it but they you know they were there at the jazz clubs they were there at the nightclubs, they were sleeping around you know somebody's paying for those sex workers right like but we don't really hear so much about them and there's definitely not the same um level of judgment and not the same kind of moral fear around them because i think historically men's sexuality hasn't been considered such such a big concern for society at large and you know the although obviously there were concerns about STIs, generally it was quite hush-hush, but the, one of the things that's always been a problem is if you're a woman and you get pregnant outside of marriage, you are a problem to society, society. you are a burden. Somebody is going to have to pay to help you and your child, and who's that going to be if you don't have a husband? Whereas like with men, you never really get that, so I think that's why it kind of like goes under. And And also, as a man especially as a young man I think there was probably an expectancy that you would you know go out sow your wild oats or whatever the phrase is have have (laughs) fun burn that off before you get married whereas woman was always supposed to be wanting to be at home was supposed to be a caregiver was supposed to put other people's needs before her own and I think being a flapper was being very determinedly about your own wants and needs and interests um so yeah I mean definitely a double standard and even just things where you look at you know STIs like the blame was put on the women not the men but there's got to be two people in that sexual relationship to be able to pass it on you know it's not done by osmosis you know so yeah unsurprisingly quite high double standards.
0: Yeah I mean it doesn't shock me because (laughs) men just get away with most things and like you're saying about the pregnancy thing I think that's so important like Men, women were, like, you know, ridiculed. They were, like, thrown out of their houses. They were, like, really, like, badly judged if they got pregnant outside of marriage. Yet the man who got pregnant, he can just walk off and, like, leave that behind because he's not the one that's pregnant. And I think that's just so important because it would have happened to a lot of people. And obviously, at this time, abortion was illegal. um, And... So, like, was there... Maybe not an increase in imbo- an abortion, but was it still, like, quite a big problem? And, like, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but infanticide? I don't know how you say it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Was that I also can't. a problem? Because I know during, like, the 1910s, um, it was quite a big problem, like, babies just <laughs> being yeah. killed. Um, yeah. And I wonder, like, is this, like, kind of following the same pattern in the 20s because obviously it's up to the woman to sort herself out i guess yeah yeah it was really um
1: it, it really did continue i think in in the same kind of way i mean abortion continued illegal abortions backstreet abortions they continued and i don't have any sort i don't know any like solid figures about them but um there I, I would imagine that there would have been it would have been at a steady rate if not an increase based on um you know based on the fact that there were just so many more single women because there were so many less men who would have um who were either you know feeling particularly sexually liberated and were, were sort of sleeping around or you know not even necessarily sleeping around but you know would have sex with somebody that they're not married to um some people some women, um. Put themselves at risk because they would actually in the hopes of catching the husband because it was quite competitive um would would sleep with them with a sleep with a man in an attempt to kind of like um pin that relationship down i guess um you know but that's not always going to work out so i don't know the figures but i would imagine it was high and i would say the same for infanticide as well um because The thing is they were just absolutely completely rejected by society in so many cases you know like sometimes they're sent to asylums or the babies would be put up for adoption um it's not it's not a a a place and time that you would really want to struggle on with an an unwanted pregnancy as an unmarried woman it you know there was there was very little sympathy around Any of that, so I I think numbers were probably still, still really high, Um, and I think one of the things that, you know, there would have been illegal abortions are are often really dangerous, um, especially in the past. I guess Um, you know there there would have been a lot of mothers who probably died from complications from that, but we'll never know that because that's not what is going to be recorded as as their their case of death and I think it's like we've talked about with STIs like sometimes you have to look past the actual kind of figures of what you can see um and assume that those numbers are, are much much higher um but it was just such a an awful time to be a an unmarried mother um that I I think unsurprisingly the numbers were really high
0: yeah and I think what surprised me about like abortion um as well it's like it wasn't just tried, like, in a small court. Like, if you were caught having an illegal abortion, um, I know in London it would be tried at the Old Bailey and the doctor would be liable for it, which is hence why we don't have any records, really, of people going for backstreet abortions because they could be sentenced to death for administering this abortion. Um, And I just found that really crazy because someone's just trying to you know get on in life and the easiest thing they think which is obviously a really hard decision is to get rid of their child and they're being tried at the high court like in London which always had like pamphlets written about it and was really like all the cases were talked about and stuff so to be tried there would have been just awful and luckily like um well luckily for the women um a lot of the time they wouldn't have been sentenced to death purely because women were kind of seen to be protected so they'd often get yeah. sent to insane asylums and stuff which i guess is better than being sentenced to death but once your name's out there because you've gone for an illegal abortion it's just like that you're never yeah. going to recover from that like yeah. that that's going to the be there is,
1: is ruined and reputation was really important to people and you know as a woman your sexual reputation was still such a like important part of your identity and yeah i mean you just think like that like going through a potentially life-threatening illegal abortion under some probably quite hideous circumstances morally questioning as well like you know attitudes to abortion attitudes to Um, sex outside of marriage you know just because um, people are acting more liberal doesn't mean that internally they're not still battling with that because of their upbringing and their their background you know it's not to say that there wasn't guilt around that already so you've already been through this like potentially quite emotional traumatic experience and then to be put on trial for it but also when you think about like well the risks of having this having an abortion at the time were I, I mean aside from you know death but like potentially that could um you know it could do all sorts of things to your body like sometimes women you don't really know who this kind of doctor is necessarily so sometimes it could you know damage your body forever or you might get put on trial or all sorts of things and yet you're weighing it up and and that's the option that so many women went for rather than have this child outside of wedlock i think it just really shows how bleak it must have been in a lot of ways if you if unless you potentially had like the support of your family but you know how many women did in that sort of situation it just shows how bleak society was if you were an unmarried mother and what a scandal it it was and how much it was still even though there was this huge fear of how sexual women had become actually there was still a massive expectation that they would be the pure ones in society um so yeah it's it's interesting really again it's just just it's it just kind of shows like actually uh, as a whole what people considered moral and acceptable and what wasn't um is is much more different to this idea of like oh the 20s like everyone was just out having a party all the time and sleeping with who they wanted like it it kind of shows us the reality beneath that kind of glittering
0: image of the 20s, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, for the women who didn't choose to have an abortion and potentially either adopt out their child or maybe keep their child, life was still hard. I mean, we hear about the um, Irish homes for women that were horrific and killed multiple Well probably thousands of babies over the years that they were open, run by the church, um, who were, you know, there to protect women and help the unmarried mothers. But realistically, that was just so far from the case. So I think, you know, if you didn't choose to have the abortion and you chose to have the child, then your decisions were still really difficult and your life was still difficult. And I think it's just, it's such a change, even from, say, the 60s, you know, you, you might have fared a bit better 30 years later with a unmarried with a child than in the 20s Um, but I think it was just such a time of people the morals hadn't caught up with what some people's morals were and then the laws hadn't caught up with what the changing morals were so I think it was just very as much as it was a time of change I think the change wasn't as drastic as we thought um yeah. as we perceive it to be.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think yeah, I think what you just said is really interesting about like, you know, like the law and stuff hadn't caught up, is that's the thing, like the change was in people's behaviours. Um, but that's not like everything else kind of lags behind that and you always have the kind of reactionary like people reacting to that, you know, like like the press, um or like what um the the Home minister for the home office what on earth were they called if I in a complete mind blank anyway um they they got an, the they appointed a new one um called sir william johnson hicks and he his whole thing was about the morality of the country and he like came down wanted to come down so hard on the nightclubs and and if you've got somebody like that in power it doesn't really matter in some ways what the rest of society like what a huge chunk of society is doing if the law is still being led by people like the Met and like Jonathan Hicks who were still so conservative and just did were just horrified by what was going on and wanted to stamp down on it so yeah even though there's it's definitely way more progressive I think it's way more publicly progressive than other eras it's I think people think of it as more modern than it than it it was in the 20s um for this kind of thing and um you know it it was even just things like you know divorce for instance it was becoming more widespread but it was still really scandalous and a woman wouldn't and again this is almost about like the kind of double standards really or being being punished women being punished for um something not their fault or their problem almost um but like a woman generally wouldn't marry a man who was already divorced so I was reading a really interesting book recently and it was it had a specific example of this lady called Irene and she fell in love with her boss I think it was and they were having this like secret relationship but he was divorced and she chose not to marry him because she all the stigma would have come down on her as a home wrecker, even though I'm pretty sure when I was reading it it's pretty clear that he was already divorced when they started their relationship. She was not involved in that breakup at all. But people would automatically assume that. And it's kind of like, even though he's the one that went through the divorce, it's her reputation. If she marries him, it's her reputation that will really get, like, dragged through the mud, basically.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting because, like, you kind of think, like, the women did get the more stick for the divorce and, like, but I didn't think about it being, like, you know if they got with someone who was divorced um would have been a stigma but then if you think about I know it's like in the 30s but if you think about Wallace Simpson and um in the in like royalty like she wasn't allowed to get married because she was divorced like um like they weren't allowed to get married and it's just like it's like divorce is such a normal part of society now you kind of forget that back then, it would have literally been, like, the biggest scandal <laughs> at the time. Like, yeah. if you knew someone who was divorced, it would have been, like, oh, my God, like, you're divorced. Like, that's just yeah. so, like, alien to them back then. Even though divorce has been a concept since the Tudor times, it's just very strange that it took so long to catch up into normal society.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's, it's funny to think that, like, I I, I think also i know this is something that i'm particularly like guilty of doing it in my head i'm almost like we get into the you know you get into the 20th century and religion just stops being so important here but actually the 20s was still a very religious time people you know were raised with different expectations of behavior um and it's not that far off the victorian era (laughs) um it feels in my head it always feels so far away but actually it's really not and I think that's something that really needs to be remembered when you're you're thinking about all of these different things is is that actually the the context of how these young people have grown up and and their parents attitudes like their parents would have been Victorian children you know like that and that's you know that's not just something that goes away um that's something that's that's built all through your childhood about what you're supposed to do and what women are supposed to do and how you're supposed to behave and and what you talk about people you know wouldn't talk about wouldn't talk about sex at all as well like people would i think for the most part knew about sex once it got to you know the right sort of age and kind of knew what was expected of them as part of a married relationship but people wouldn't talk about you know openly about things like contraception or pleasure or you know like any anything to anything to do with that like masturbation was still like a huge taboo at this point you know um anything lgbtq you know these were just things that weren't weren't talked about um you know sexual health wasn't talked about and so even though it feels like it is moving into a much more liberal time at the same time you've still got a huge public silence about so many things that are 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 tied up and and it's yeah it's not just kind of flashy rich women falling out of nightclubs it underlying that is is so much that just wasn't talked about in in families in friends you know people didn't know where to get that information from
0: yeah and you mentioned like lgbtq and like being gay was illegal so um you know that definitely wouldn't have been talked about and I mean, I'm going back to Downton Abbey again, but in the film, um, you see the like kind of raid on the like night men's nightclub for like gay men, yeah. and it's like that must have been so strange because now you don't even think twice as someone says they're gay, but back then, even if you, I don't know, if you wrote a letter to someone and it was slightly too sexualized, you could yeah. be arrested and um, put in prison, and that's just incredible to think that that was. I know the 20s are now 100 years ago but you know a lot of our grandparents or um, their parents grew up in the 20s or you know were born in the 20s and yeah. that would have been something that they were used to and yeah. it's just crazy to think that that was yeah. that was it the was way
1: so... and I think that's it's actually really interesting as well because it's one of the few things where actually it was probably slightly better for women than it was for men because being gay being a gay man was illegal but actually um being a lesbian or engaging in lesbian sexual activity wasn't technically illegal and in 1921 there was a bill to make it illegal and it didn't pass because and this was something that had come up in the victorian era as well mps kind of wanted to like sweep it under the carpet and there was this like worry that if you put it in words and made it a thing suddenly women would find out about like queer female sex and and they would be like oh i can do this so it was almost like by talking about it they would encourage women to engage in it um which is just so bizarre to me because like people are people are people like sexuality is not necessarily something you can people do don't get me wrong like i'm sure they did squash it down and hide it and there will be plenty of people in history who didn't realize that they were queer but like this idea that if you put it in words that will make it happen um for something like that is just like so bizarre but people were women were really worried about it they used to um mary stopes used to accept letters from people um from from women asking her about all sorts of things and she would write back to them and women wrote to her about things that they were worried they were abnormal for and like some of that was um you know, they were worried that they were uh, a lesbian. Um, they were worried about sexual frustration because because of this um, mismatch of how many men and women there were. And um, you know, she would she would kind of give them advice. And there was, you know, with um, you know that sometimes it was dismissed as a phase. There was kind of like normal schoolgirl crushes on like you know perhaps a, a female teacher or uh, you know the head girl was that was kind of considered kind of normal. Um, but then you grew out of that and you had straight a straight relationship. Um but actually then have like having a, a female relationship was considered really dangerous. Um but there's quite an interesting thing. Some people were quite pitying about it. Um you know like women oh they can't help themselves. There's not enough men and they're just starved for love. You know, these kind of things and it, it's really interesting seeing them because you still see stupid comments like that sometimes up like Oh, they just you know they've just not met the right man yet or something like that when it's like actually no this is just people's sexuality like it's it's not necessarily anything to do with men um yeah it's interesting but it was it's a it was I think there was starting to be a slight shift some people were talking about it um a lady called Laura Hutton who uh, who wrote various, you know, books and pamphlets and stuff, I think, and she thought that by repressing a sexuality like that that it could really brew a lot of guilt and resentment, which is true. Um and so she was much more tolerant about it. But then you had others who literally thought it was like a disease and they needed to be cured of it. Um but yeah, like the public consciousness of of lesbian relationships was was kind of higher than ever. And I think it's because women were out in public together so much um and were dancing together at parties because there wasn't enough men and most of the high really high proportion of those women would have just been friends dancing together but it kind of provided this almost like secret not secret atmosphere for gay women to be able to do something like that to be able to dance in public together and it kind of be like okay because that's just what happened because there wasn't enough men but then at the same time there was this real fear about it there was a real fear but it wasn't illegal because yeah they were just didn't really know how to deal with it I think more than anything but it's yeah it's bizarre it's probably yeah one of the few things that women had slightly better than men at the time (laughs) regarding sexuality because they weren't probably gonna be like arrested for it but the taboo was still enormous absolutely huge um and that would have been a lot to deal with i think
0: um yeah definitely and i think um like you're saying like women kind of um dancing together that was kind of like fine and like you know it further back in history when you think of like Anne Lister and stuff she was kind of allowed to be gay not allowed but she got away with it because females are allowed a much closer relationship than men so I yeah. think potentially one of the reasons why they couldn't really make it illegal is because it's harder to prove. I think if you know, with the if you think about British values and stuff, like men yeah. just shouldn't be being close with other men. It's more of a like you go out for a pint with them or you work yeah. with them, but you're, you're not going to be like hugging them or you're not going to be dancing yeah. with them. So I think like obviously like women were able to get away with. Um, being closer which I think you know I guess it was a positive for women at the time because if you were gay and you were happy to express that and not keep it in then you probably would most likely be able to get away with it whereas I think if you're a gay man I think it would have just been awful because you just can't be that close as men that's just how like society is set up and that really would have affected upon um, gay men at the time, but it's interesting that there was a bit of a moral panic that uh, the government might accidentally turn loads of yeah. women gay <laughs> um. yeah.
1: by letting them know that there's this alternative uh, <laughs> yeah like... that they definitely shouldn't be getting involved in
0: yeah um,
1: yeah it, it's sort of yeah b- bizarre really um, but yeah I think yeah that's that's totally true. I think there's you know female friendships um are expected to be more affectionate uh and 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 close and intimate in a way that male friendships weren't and i think as well in in this time in the 20s you know there were women in pairs or a couple of them who were setting up households together because they never married because there wasn't enough men or their husbands and fiancés had had died in the war and they never met anyone else you know or all the men that they were in love with were actually divorced so they didn't want to marry them you know like all the all these kind of things and so they were setting up households together as as friends as housemates basically but then also under that you're going to have women who were using that as an opportunity to to set that up but actually they're in a a a relationship a, a romantic a sexual relationship so yeah it's 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 a funny one really um and it's something that i think more of it will be is kind of hidden in plain sight than we might know um that is is hard to tell because of because people you know unless they literally like write it down somewhere like it's going to be really difficult to know but i just think that underneath you know these examples of women spending all their time together that there must just be much more um you know queer queer relationships in there than we can than we can see um yeah it's it's interesting and it's interesting as well like just going back to mary stopes her response was always quite no nonsense and she was quite sort of like it's all right to kind of have a crush that's quite expected because that's part of that affectionate friendship type of thing um but apart from that it's kind of like shake it off because it's not normal um she's pretty blunt I think in in some of her advice
0: yeah and I guess to hear that it's not normal would have kind of frightened a lot of women at the time um which would have been like I guess like put them off um in a way um and yeah like you're saying like it is hard to track stuff like you know, gay men and uh, gay women and, um, like, sex workers and stuff because it just simply wasn't recorded. And I think, like, I remember, like, when I studied, like, um, Nazi Germany and, you know, like, everyone would kind of dob each other in and it would be like, oh, I think these people are lesbians because they live together. But yet they couldn't really prove anything. It was just two women living together. And I think as historians we probably have to look, like, deeper in because if someone's accusing someone of being a lesbian there must be a deeper reason than just oh they live together so they're gay um but I think yeah like like you said like a lot of it will be in plain sight like it can't have been all these women dancing together and no one was gay (laughs) it just wouldn't have happened
1: (laughs) yeah and I think what it also I guess to take into account which I think is something that
0: um isn't always
1: is there will be women who had uh, relationships, for instance, where it was it was it was a relationship. They're a couple, but it's not necessarily sexual. It might just be about like the companionship. So it's more than a friendship, but it's not necessarily a, a sexual thing. Or I mean, you know, there's a whole range of sexualities out there that this would have like impacted on. But I just think, yeah, it it was it's. I, I think again, women who were actually out uh, and people knew about them which in some circles you know like quite bohemian circles or sometimes celebrity circles you were kind of accepted slash tolerated for that but in others like absolutely not like it must have taken a huge amount of bravery to to do that because the the public sort of fear around um homosexuality like in men and women was just so enormous that to face up to that um to be told that you're abnormal you're deviant you're wrong um and and come out of that and still sort of you know put aside the guilt that would have been you know preached at you by everyone um is is really something it's 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 really really brave actually and I think um that's something that I really hope there's a lot more research done actually in in upcoming years and and those stories are really like brought out and talked about because I think there just must be, like, a huge subculture that we're just, like, not talking about.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, the stigma, like you're saying, like, it it was brave of them to come out because even today it's brave to come out because so many people are still so against it, even though you know, like, people have been homosexual since humans existed, like, it's, that's what yeah. baffles me, but the the attitude still hasn't changed, it's changed drastically since the 20s, obviously, like, being gay isn't illegal, like, marriage yeah. between men and, m- men and men and women and women is legal, and, like, it's legal to be trans now and stuff, but I do think, like, in the coming years, research will be done on this era and homosexuality and, You know, trans people and lesbians um, because there won't be as much stigma about researching it because I do think what still has stigma in society doesn't get researched in the past as much so I think once we're kind of a bit more you know things have moved on a bit more in the present day then I think going back to the past will be a huge thing and I think we will find out a lot more about Maybe um, maybe we've missed the boat for people's experiences, but I'm sure like there'll be lots of research done um, yeah. to find out what it kind of was like. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's
1: like what you just said about like when you know things have, have moved on a bit. Is the thing is is everyone, everyone who's reading history, researching history, writing history, brings to the table their own attitudes and prejudices and expectations and experiences and that's not always necessarily a bad thing but i think that will change as as people kind of change as well but you know you think about if you've predominantly got a lot of um you see it in all sorts of things but in in this instance where we're talking about you know like um lgbtq people in the 20s there are going to be certain things and codes and stuff that i might not pick up on for instance because i am heterosexual so i think as people in society like more people in society who are not just kind of you know like straight or white or you know whatever like middle class or you know however you want to look at it depending on what you're looking at um as they start looking back more and more you'll pick up on on different things and read things with a different with different eyes and i think that will be really important for it as well but yeah i think it's definitely something and i think that's something that in everything that you do around sort of sex and scandal there is always people bring their own uh morality with them um and their own kind of expectations of that um to to whatever you're looking to to whatever you're looking at and looking at people's choices you you add your own um kind of things and i think that's why the history of sex work has never been it is quite difficult to kind of get a hold on it's because people come to it with their own judgments a lot of the time you know what whatever that kind of looks like whether that's conscious or not um so yeah it's interesting i'd be really interested to um have this conversation in 10 years time and see what's changed and what's come out in in like the next like 10 years about about this about this decade and and what's changed
0: yeah definitely and I think like it would be hopefully there would be a change in how we're seeing the 20s because I've like mentioned like when I've been talking to other people like when recording like where I well personally me I'm looking at this from a very you know I was educated in England I'm white I'm female like I'm I, I guess I would be considered middle class like I'm looking at from that angle that I've been taught it in which is very um white history very focused on England and America and it's not like anything I'd like that I didn't learn about any of the other bits like I've never learned about gay people in the 20s because that's just not what you've been taught and I think like we're looking at it from like that angle and I think like it'll be really interesting when other people um other historians look at it from a different angle like I'm really interested to see what's what that's like because I try and like include as much different things as I can but then obviously I'm not necessarily thinking about all of them because that's not what I am in the mindset of because it's not I guess maybe not what I'm interested in I don't think that's the right word because I am interested in finding out you know the underdog story but um I think you kind of research what you're used to and that I think like school needs to change um to kind of develop these ideas so I hope in 10 years time that schools would have a bit of a um change and like even universities would change to shift their focus a little bit
1: I would hope so and some of the things as well I think you know i was talking earlier about things like oh you know people didn't talk about um contraception and they they didn't talk about you know pleasure well schools still don't teach you about female pleasure in sex education you know like actually there's no one you know there's you're looking back a hundred years a society that didn't talk about it so your sources are already relatively limited but then at the same time we don't necessarily talk about that sort of stuff and and learn about it so you don't that's also you're kind of when you're talking about history you're also talking about something that we don't talk about in modern times enough um and although it's a little bit depressing to think like oh well, we're 100 years later and we're still not talking about stuff properly um i think it also affects like how you then think about things in the past and i think that's that's why looking at things like scandal and sex and sexuality and relationships and gender is like so important for understanding. An era because it's you know it's the stuff that's underlying everything else you know like political history the histories of wars economic history like underneath all of that you have got people having relationships having fun having sex facing up to issues that are affect their life choices you know like it's just really really important and and also it's just so interesting (laughs) um so many great stories come out of it but there's so many more under there that we've just not dug out yet but I look forward to digging them out
0: yeah and I think yeah it's just like everything's so like different and the 20s fed into every other era like stuff that happened in the 20s then affected the 40s and the 60s and you know stuff that started in the 20s still has roots like is still around today so think it's interesting and like obviously we can't touch on like everything but there's just so much to talk about and I think like you could literally like research for years and still not even like <laughs> get what you yeah. need out of it because there's just so much that hasn't been researched and recorded and stuff like that and I think like you could just do it forever and still not even have a vague understanding of what it was like yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly and that's the thing like we've touched on some of the kind of quite top-line stuff today but like you know there's there's so much more like we could have probably done like an eight-hour podcast on like one tiny element of what we've talked about today because there is just like so much in there but yeah there's definitely um some really interesting kind of and i think that's what's so interesting about this era is like it is has some really important and interesting roots for the way that our society is now and it was you know maybe it's not always how we think about it but the 1920s was a big change and it was a big shift in mentalities and approaches and it it was kind of the start i mean the stuff that was happening at the same time of it as well which we've not really talked about but even just things like certain women getting the vote in like 1918 like you know this stuff is all linked to that like at that um more empowering of women politically and you know socially and and it all links like all through the next you know 100 years
0: so yeah
1: there's there's so much to talk about
0: (laughs) yeah we should probably um start (laughs) wrapping up um (laughs) I thought like I mean you know sum up I guess quickly do you think the roaring 20s were roaring or was it not what we think it was
1: I think the Roaring Twenties were roaring for quite a small proportion of people, how we think of it. Um, but I do think they were really important, a built really, a really important groundwork for kind of how um, sex and sexuality and approaches and attitudes towards it changed over the next 100 years. I think the image we have of it being uh, a glamorous great Gatsby party the whole time is inaccurate and doesn't take into account um, everything that comes around just um, that that kind of that party or that sexual relationship there's so much else that kind of feeds into it that we don't really think about but I think for some people um, they were the roaring 20s and I think it's important for us to highlight it as a as an era that that was quite different and and made a change um but I think if you were going to go back in time you definitely want to be one of the bright young things higher up in the scale because I think further down in society you probably had a lot of other issues rather than just like should I cut my hair short or not but yeah I think it's it's a great era and there's just so much to talk about and pick apart um before you know the next 100 years kind of
0: Yeah, and just, are there any interesting facts or stories that you want to wrap up with just to finish off the uh, podcast and sum up the era, I guess? Yeah,
1: you know, I really
0: wanted to um, mention um, Kate
1: Merrick, who was known as Queen of Nightclubs, um, because I think it's a really interesting story that can kind of tell us so much about what we've actually been talking about. Um, So basically, she, she was from London... And um, she worked in a nightclub called Dalton's and then eventually bought a share in it. Um, and she managed it and basically it moved from, shifted from being a nightclub to actually being more of a brothel, but with a really specific slant that was actually for young war veterans seeking, who who had, you know, were quite traumatized or troubled, um, seeking kind of sex and companionship. And this is what she was doing at the start of the 20s. And then it got raided by the police. Um, And she was forced to close the club, but then she started the 43 Club, which is one of the most notorious ones in London. And it had alcohol and jazz and there were people and drugs and there was royalty and there was up and coming gangsters and writers and politicians and all sorts of people. And she ran this club for, for 10 years and she went in and out of prison. But the reason that she went in was actually mostly about her alcohol licensing. So there were new licensing laws that meant that you could serve alcohol now up until 12.30 at night, um, but only if you served food as well. So some of these clubs would just serve sandwiches, uh, which really made me think of last year when they said that pubs could open. Um,
0: <laughs> as long as they served some for me yeah. it was like,
1: uh, what was it, like a scotch egg or something? Yeah. Like um, which I just thought was like a really funny link to this like very bizarre year, literally 100 years later kind of thing. Um, and basically she came up against the Home Secretary, um sir william johnson hicks who i mentioned earlier and he was absolutely determined to close her down but they could never quite nick her basically so like the police would would go in and they would try and you know find examples of of what was you know wrongdoing basically and get her done and it turned out that um the sergeant from the met police who was you know the 43 club was like his patch and he would go in and check it was actually being bribed by kate merrick um because even though he was just a you know police officer on a normal kind of salary he also lived in a huge townhouse in london and had like two really expensive cars um and so in the end they did a raid without informing him and he was um you know he was convicted for taking bribes and she was convicted for bribing a police officer and she went into prison in 1929 and um was sentenced for like I think it was 15 months to her, 18 months, hard labour. And by the time she came out in 1931, the world had changed because of the financial crash Um, and nightclubs were just decimated. And it's just a really interesting story to see how different scandals, how politics mixed into it, you know, what people were doing in them, this kind of rise of this queen of nightclubs that all then came crashing down right at the end of the decade, like so much of what we've talked about probably did um as as you went into the 30s and and the depression so i just had to get something about kate in there because i just thought she was fascinating and her whole reason this is what she always said anyway her whole reason for doing this was to be able to pay her children's school fees that's that's why she came in she was a single mother she'd been widowed um and yeah i just think she's fascinating and i just had to get her story out there
0: yeah, it's really interesting. I've never heard of her, but it's just reminded me of like kind of Peaky Blinders type yeah. era, like um, controlling the clubs and stuff. Like, I just she sounds like an incredible woman. Like, that's exactly what um, I
1: thought. Um, and it's a it's a real shame, obviously, that she she died last week. But Helen McCrory would have been perfect to play her. I think.
0: Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but that's interesting. I, I guess you haven't like we haven't really heard of any actual nightclub like, owners and stuff like in London and like in the UK. Like apart from maybe like the craze, like which is in the sixties, I, I couldn't really name any famous like <laughs> criminals from the twenties. So I, I find that really interesting that she was like the queen of like nightclubs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And what a great
1: title, Queen of <laughs>
0: yeah I mean that's the title that you'd want <laughs> it doesn't sound too yeah. aggressive <laughs> no it kind of works
1: and I think it really like especially works for this you know the 1920s this kind of jazz flapper era like it just is perfect um and just like a yeah just such a kind of great story for summing up I think not only what we think of the 20s as but also what it you know what was going on underneath that kind of like glossy image that we have of it
0: yeah definitely um and I think it's a really good place to um finish the episode on um because it's just the perfect little story um yeah. but yeah thank you to everyone for listening and um I think I mentioned at the start that Sophie's Instagram is history chatter so um I will link it and everything but if you want to reach out to her, that's that's where to go. <laughs> yeah, um, please do. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for being on the episode. And oh, hope um, hopefully we might do something again soon. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. That would be great.
0: Um, yeah, so thank you.